You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nitophatites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachur, son of Asaph, and the relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Maai, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people, on the wall, above the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Maseah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehonanan, Malkijah, Elam and Azer, and the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that, that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And so before we get into this week's passage, I just want to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about the context. Maybe some of us haven't been here the last couple of weeks, or maybe some of us are new and coming for the very first time. Um, So whenever we look at a passage in the Bible, we also want to look at 
what has come just before, what is the context of what we're reading, so that we don't read too much into you know, a specific little passage and take it out of context. So what has happened in the previous couple of weeks? Matt helpfully talked about it in communion too. But we saw that last week they actually went through their story up until this point. Um, if you look at chapters 9 and 10, there's a big uh, kind of section of text where they go right back to Abraham and they talk about how God chose Abraham. God promised to bless Abraham. God promised to give him land and to make him into a great people. And that through the people, through Abraham's family, everyone on earth would be blessed and everyone on earth through Abraham's family would be able to see who God is. Last week they told their story and they remembered their story. What happened is they did take the promised land. They lived in the land. And then though the story of the Old Testament is that the Israelites, they mostly did their own thing. The blessing that God gave Abraham, God said, I'll bless you. Um, but it was a two-way thing. People had to follow and live God's way as well. And the story of the Old Testament is really God loving and mercifully reaching out to people. People, you know, committing. There's this kind of ongoing cycle of, you know, the Israelites committing to God. Them failing, though, in some way. There's a consequence for that failure. And then there's a recommitment. We basically see that cycle on repeat through the Old Testament. And last week, that recommitment phase, so commitment, failure, consequence, recommitment. You can kind of look at a lot of what's going on in the Bible through those lenses, through that lens. And last week, we saw a really significant recommitment that the Israelites made. By God's grace, even after Israel and then Judah, they were destroyed. Like they'd, they'd lived in the land for ages. They turned their back on God. And so the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, they, came, they pulled the people out of the land. They took the land back off them, even though God had promised it to them. Because the people chose to rebel and do their own thing, God pulled them out of their land. But God still, that wasn't the end. God sent Ezra and then Nehemiah to go back to repent and to re rebuild the city. And they'd done that. Really, we're coming towards the end of Nehemiah now, the end of this series. They finished the temple first. A couple of weeks ago, they finished the wall. The wall's done. The city's built. That's where we're up to in the story. What Nehemiah set out to achieve, it's been achieved now. And once they had finished, they made a commitment to God. They said, God, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to serve you. We are putting you first. We're sorry for all the things that we did wrong. Um, Thank you that your, your grace and your love is so steadfast and that we're still here. And they said, that's it. We're not doing that anymore, God. We are yours. And today we build on from there. So what happens next? So what happens next? I've got three points that I want to touch on today. The guest list the playlist, and the party. Those three points are kind of guide, going to guide us through the way that we look at Nehemiah 11 and 12. The guest list, the playlist, and then the party. 
So a massive list of names. Who is there? They've done the work. The temple's done. The wall is done. There's going to be a party. There's going to be a massive party. But who is going to come? Who are we going to invite? Who is the guest list in this party? What can we learn from this massive list of names, from looking at the guest list? Sometimes, like uh, um, genealogy that is often talked about, um, is Jesus' genealogy in Matthew and Luke. There's a big list of names that we can see right through the Old Testament and read about how people that you probably wouldn't think would be in Jesus' family line um, are in Jesus' family line. It shows how that God works through us as frail humans. And it's not how good we are. That means we get blessed. It's how good God is. So in this list of names, I dug around looking for some gold like that. Who is in there that shouldn't be? And I didn't find any. <laughs> There's actually scholarly argument about this list of names. And a couple of commentaries that I consulted, they also said, we don't really know why this is here. <laughs> and so my question uh, of why this is here, I've, I didn't feel so bad about asking it because Bible scholars that have written commentaries also asked it. Asked it. <laughs> but a couple of things that I learned when I was working through, I've been re kind of reading this for the last couple of weeks and just reflecting on it. A couple of my reflections when working through and thinking about this over the last week, which I've got three things about the guest list that... Uh, that I thought were helpful and things that I saw in the text that I want to share. And the first of those is that this isn't a bunch of random people. This isn't a rabble of people that God is working with. They're organised, they've got structure, and they're family. The names don't mean very much today. We can't even say a lot of the names. Well, maybe Leah can say them. I, I can't say them. Yeah. <laughs> but these names, they mean something to God. God knows his people by name. Family and people and people's names are really significant to God. God wanted these names recorded in this Bible, knowing that we'd be sitting here on a hill in Mount Deneed trying to read them. God is a God of order and of structure, and he knows his people by name. There's a history, there's a couple of them, I'm sure, that are still inside, on the history of St. Wilfrid's of this site, which I find, found really interesting. It's been here, it's about 150 years. I think, and it's, it's, it's probably about the same size as Nehemiah, actually, the, the number of words that are in it. Um, it's really interesting to read about it. The names I can say of the vicars and the ministers that have been here before because they're English names, but they still don't really mean anything to me today. They've been recorded. Those names, though, like those names that have been recorded here, they mean something to God. The second thing Second reflection on this is that this reminds me that the Bible happened, and it sounds really obvious, but the Bible happened in a real time and in a real place. It's not fiction, and we know that it's not fiction, obviously. But what we're reading is a historical narrative. For history and archaeological buffs, of which I'm not really one, but as I get older, I'm starting to appreciate history more. These are the type of records that are uncovered and they can be cross-referenced. Oh, I can't turn my head that way. Yeah. Um, they can be cross-referenced against each other. He's, historians can piece together heaps of info about our world and what happened by looking at these lists of names. And the third reflection on this list of names is that God gives us and his people then specific roles. Not everyone is the same. In this list, and if you look at Nehemiah 11, they're kind of broken into roles. 
Some people play music. Some people are teachers. Some are housekeepers. Some are gatekeepers, kind of like security. Some are managers. Some are priests. God creates you know, order and structure and gives people different roles. He makes us all different. And that's good that he makes us different. If we were all like me, it would not be a good thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, it's, and, and people's roles are important that God gives as well. Like, they're important enough to be recorded. This is the person, this is their name, and this was their job. You know, God cares about those things. We can see that he cares about those things then, and he still cares about us in the same way now. So the guest list, we know who is there. We know who they are by name. And so what do they do? The playlist. We'll look at chapter 12, verse 27. I'll just read that again. It says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the, the villages of the Nedophathites. So what do they do? They've done the work. They know who's here. The record has been recorded. They sing and they make music. But music, it's like, okay, we've done it. It's awesome. What do we do? Get the musicians. We need music right now. And music is something that's used all throughout the Bible as part of an experience of worshipping God, part of an experience of talking about how good is, good God is, and part of celebrating God. Louis read Psalm 148. I think it was 148, right? Um, at the start of the service. It talks about all creation even singing about how good God is. There's examples all through the Old Testament of music uh, being used to celebrate how good God is. When they cross the Red Sea, there's a song that goes for about two or three chapters that Miriam, Moses' brother, sings. We get to the whole, that's important enough, the song that she sung. All the words are still recorded. David, who is a mighty warrior and king, but he wrote many of the Psalms, the songbook of the Bible. He wrote them and they're recorded for us. When the first temple was finished, when Solomon built the first temple, there was a massive party. Maybe like a party that's never been had since, because a lot of animals got killed. You wouldn't have wanted to be an animal then. And now when the second temple and the walls are done, the, the cry really of the people is, get the musicians. We need music. Something good has happened. And that continues all through the Bible, through the New Testament. Paul encourages us to sing. And in Revelation... We hear that one day everyone will sing about how good our God is. Music, God made music. God loves music and he created in us a desire and a love for music. We use music so much today. It's embedded massively in, a cult, in our culture in ways that I don't think we even realise it's so much, part, so much a part of what happens. And a party with no music... It's almost not a party, I reckon. It's hard to imagine some experiences where music isn't, isn't there. Think about a wedding, for example. I went to a wedding, uh, I was going to say the other day, it was before COVID, um, which is a long time ago now, 2019. And 
music is a key part of weddings and how they work. What song is the bride going to walk down the aisle to and how do they choose that song is an important decision. Uh, at this wedding, though, another time that music is really important is when the, couple, the new couple are announced. You're now, now pronounce your husband and wife. Um, at that time, there's normally some, it's, it's party time, right? There's some upbeat, fun song that means something to the couple normally. And, you know, they're all happy and everyone's congratulating them as they're walking down the aisle into their happy new life. In this wedding, the DJ was not as good as our DJ here today. And it was pretty slow on the play button. So they announced the new couple, husband and wife. Big, everyone cheers, yeah. And then nothing happened. Like there was no music. And everyone, there's maybe a hundred people, everyone's looking around. Where's the music? Like it feel, it just felt so wrong that there was no music at that moment. It was a time to celebrate, a really important time to celebrate. Ten seconds later, he obviously found the play button. The music came and everything was good again. <laughs> in our culture today, music is everywhere and it's in many different contexts. And I think it's one thing to appreciate music. I think probably all of us like music in some way. But it's another to actively participate in music. And I think as guys, especially, maybe as Australian Western guys, we only really sing. Some of us are different. I'll speak for myself generally and the people that I hang out with. We only really sing when our team wins at the footy. That's a time to sing. And maybe when people have been at the pub for too long, maybe some singing happens then as well. But that wasn't the culture then. When something good happened in sort of that, the culture that we're reading about here, when good or, or when something bad happened, they called for the musicians. I think as a society, we're really used to music being a performance, M music being something that we consume, it's, it entertains us. When we do engage with music in our Western culture, it's, it's, we're consuming it, we're, it's something that's happening for us to observe and watch. But in a church context, in the context that these people are and that we're in now, it isn't really about that. The idea is that we all participate in some way, rather than performers up the front, which we would, you know, if you went to a concert, you would watch people perform. People's job up the front, and it's a bit ironic we don't have any today, but their job is to prompt they're prompters, they're not performers, they're prompters. It's primarily to prompt us, to remind us of how good God is and to help us worship Him in a new way, using, using music. I think music helps us, it helps us to relate to words, and in this case, truth, in a way that we otherwise can't. Through music that God made, we get to feel things in a way that we can't without music. And God made us to feel those things and respond to music in that way. I think hearing about God's word, hearing God's truth read, that's great. And it's something that's really important that we do every Sunday. But singing about it, feeling it, hearing it through music, it's even better. It helps us experience and feel that in a way that we can't without music. I think food is something that's similar to that. Talking about how good something tastes, that's good and that's fun. 
But actually eating that thing, it's way better. <laughs> we get to experience it in a different way. We have Carla in our gospel community. Carla's just sitting over here. Carla is the most amazing pastry chef, cake maker, amazing food cooker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, she has, if you look at her Instagram account, it's full of these amazing looking cakes that she makes for people. It's her job. That's what she does. When at, thankfully, at Gospel Community, she also uh, brings those things along and we get to eat them. But you can look at her Instagram and go, wow, that's awesome, and share it and point it out to each other. And that's cool and it is fun. But when you get to eat it, that's where you actually get to enjoy it and see how good it is and, and thank God for how good he's made Carla at making those things. And also that she gets to be in our Gospel Community and we get to eat it every week. I feel like that's kind of like music. We get to... Uh, we get to read about how good God is, but he's also given us music to help us feel it and experience it in a different way. And I think a lot of us, again, probably particularly guys, I think we probably don't relate to or connect with Christian music very well. And maybe that's because of the way that Christian music has generally been played or the type of music it generally is but there's so much of it now there's so much variety in christian music now there's you know genres from thrash metal to r&b to reharmonized jazz to bach's pieces from the well-tempered clavier put to scripture there's all all of that is there that it's just on your phone if you hunt around and talk to people there's there's christian music that's great for every style um, that you can find and connect with i would encourage you to do that God created music and it's good. And I really, I, I guess I love music, so I could talk about it for too long, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I encourage you to see it this way and to lean in and really engage with music and the worship that we do do here on a Sunday. Um, I'd encourage you to engage with it. Do you have to be a great singer? No, you certainly don't. I'm not a good singer. I'll turn this on mute before anyone hears me sing. But we can still lean in, we can still engage, we can still feel and appreciate God uh, in a different way, through music. Louis already mentioned it, but if you are skilled in music and you want to be involved in leading us as a church in that process, I'd love to talk with you about doing that. It's a really important job that's recorded in the Bible that happened and it's still an important job for us today. So the playlist, we've looked at the people, the guest list, the playlist and the party. Last point is the party. So it was time now for the people to celebrate. They used music, they called the musicians, they were out, they had a massive choir. They split into two massive groups, two huge choirs, and they walked around the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah 12, verse 43, it says, And they offered great sacrifices that day, and they rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So the way for them to worship God through sacrifice and in Jerusalem, it was restored and it was back. The temple was there. The city was there. They were back in the place where they were meant to be to worship God. The worship of God for these people, it was tied closely to place, to their land and to the temple through the law and all the kind of the rituals that went along with that. And both of those things... They're back. God has allowed them to build those things 
back. It represents the ability for them to connect with God again. That's pretty, that's something to celebrate, right? It's like we were in a land far away, we were slaves, but now we're back and God's led us to be able to connect with him again. They've had it hard. They've had a difficult journey, the Israelites, through Ezra and Nehemiah. They've asked, God, where are you? God, you promised good things, and it doesn't look like we're getting good a lot of the time. (laughs) But God does show his goodness through these two books. Even though the people rejected him, he still came through. He still loved, he still forgave, and he still lived with his people. And now they can physically sit in the city and look around and see how good God is for them. Well, are we, are we okay in the rain? We're still good? I'll be quick. I'll be quick. <laughs> and so anyway, they look around and they see how good God is. What do they do? They party. They express joy. They express great joy because of how good God is. The noise was heard from far away. I'm just going to keep going. If you need to move around to your cars or get comfortable, then do that, but I'm just going to keep talking. (laughs) Um, The noise was heard from far away. Does it mean that their world was 100%? Does it mean that everything was awesome? That's why they partied? No, they still had significant trouble in their life. The pagan kings are still ruling over them. They're actually slaves in their land. They have no king, but they can still appropriately and wildly celebrate what God has done for them today. They can rejoice in who God is by looking around um, and looking at the city and the walls that God has allowed them to build. build. I'm just going to hide under here. All right. So what does all of this mean for today? We've heard about the people, the playlists, and the party. They celebrated because they saw a wall and a temple and they could connect with God again. But today we can see God's goodness in a different way. We see God's goodness towards us in Jesus. They had a specific place, Jerusalem and a temple to connect with God that helped make them right with God. They had this ongoing cycle of commitment failure, the consequence, which we've read a lot about, and recommitment. But Jesus, right from the start, had planned that it wasn't going to work that way. Jesus, about 400 years after this, had said, that's it, that's enough, this isn't working, I'm coming to fix things. We can be right with God through Jesus, through what he's done for us on the cross. Are we we staying here? This is crazy. (laughs) What about Melanie? Still out in the rain. I love it. Um, We can see, but we get to see how good God is through Jesus and what he's done. Does it mean if we put Jesus first in in our life, if we live the way that he's asked us to live, that our life here is perfect? Does it mean that the world isn't broken anymore? No, it's still broken, it's still hard. Jesus' work, when he came, he started to fix things. He said when he came, the kingdom of God 
is here. The things that are broken in the world, he started to fix them. It meant that we could be right with God again through the life that Jesus lived that we couldn't live. Is everything fixed now? No, not everything is fixed. But can we still celebrate how good our God is? Yes, I think that we can. The, the work that Jesus has done is so good and so transforming that since, since he came, um, it's so good that even all of us would sit out in the rain to hear about it. That's got to be something good, right? <laughs> um, what, what Jesus has done and the, the kingdom of God that he has brought and the way that it means that we can relate to God is so good that it's worth us celebrating. I think as Christians, we can be seen as being stiff and starchy, particularly conservative Christians. Um, I don't think when people think of Christians that they think, yeah, they have the best music and they have the best crazy parties to celebrate. I think that we're probably seen sometimes as the opposite of that. At my work, when something good happens, you know, we, the, 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 the catch cry, something good happens, to the pub, let's go. <laughs> What we've read about here is what these people's catch cry was. Something good happens, get the musicians. We need to party. The idea of, you know, to the pub, which is probably an Australian way of celebrating, I think that we can redeem that idea. When good things happen, we should celebrate as Christians. We can celebrate in a better way because, and we can be leading that celebration because we know the one who holds all of those things in his hands and works all of those things out. How good are our parties? How good is our music? They should be the best. Maybe our parties, like these, this party in Jerusalem, could be heard from afar off. When the Foo Fighters played, does anyone remember the Foo Fighters played in Geelong? Not, I don't know, six months ago, was it? Ish? That could be heard from afar off. I wanted to get a ticket to go and listen to them, and I couldn't get a ticket. Um, but I didn't need one. I live in Armstrong Creek just down the road and I just sat on my back deck and I could listen to the Foo Fighters playing at Cadinia Park. But that's crazy, right? Imagine if that was us as a group of Christians celebrating how good God is at Cadinia Park and listening to it in Armstrong Creek. Maybe even Torquay, let's go louder. Does anyone, yeah, people work for the council here, don't they? So we don't, we don't want any noise complaints. We won't be too loud. <laughs> But, but, you know, I, I think that who Jesus is and what he's done is so good. Um, it's not just a wall and it's not just a temple like they, these people celebrated. We can celebrate with outrageous celebration and joy because of who Jesus is and what he's done. So if you are following Jesus already, I just want to encourage us, you know, a fruit of the spirit, a fruit of Jesus being in us is joy. Let's express that. Express it in music. Let's have great parties and celebrate how good he is. And if that's something that you've not done before, but you'd like to know more about what that means in following Jesus and who he is, then I'd love to talk with you more about what it means to commit your life to Jesus and be able to have that joy and celebrate in the way that these people do. And so just one last point is that one day, I've talked a little bit about how when Jesus came, he started to fix things. He brought the kingdom of God with him. But our life, life here is still not perfect. There's still things that are broken. We can celebrate how good he is. 
but there's still things that aren't quite right in the world. One day, though, Jesus is going to come back. And then he's going to fix things once and for all. In the meantime, we get to participate in fixing things here. We can identify injustice, unfairness, corruption. We can work now with Jesus to make the world a better place. But we don't have to look very far to see things that we can't fix. But Jesus can fix those things. He's coming and he's going to make all things new. And then there'll be a party that makes the Foo Fighters look silly. <laughs> the wedding supper of the Lamb, the after party maybe is the point. And it's going to be massive. There'll be no more brokenness. There'll be no more death. There's no more tears. Just a ripping party with Jesus in God's presence. And church, it's through Jesus' work on the cross that he's already started and working out in you and me. That's how we get to be there. So be encouraged, church. We get to be part of bringing God's kingdom here and now. But one day that job will be done, just like Ezra and Nehemiah's job was done. And we get to celebrate that forever with Jesus. That's good news. And that's something that we can start to enjoy and celebrate now. Let's pray. Uh, thank you, God, that you are so good. Uh, thank you that we get to see how good you were to the Israelites, that you allowed them to go back uh, to Jerusalem to build a temple and build a wall so they could connect and connect with you again. But thank you, God, how that points us to Jesus. And it's through his work on the cross that we get to be right and connect with you. Um, God, I pray that you would fill us with joy. Help us to understand how good that is and for the joy that comes, comes from that to just overflow in our life. Uh, help us to be a church that is full of joy, that people go, well, what is going on there? I need to be part of that. Um, because Not because we're good, God, but because you're good and the joy and the parties and the music that we have is good because of how good you are. Uh, thank you, God, for cars. Thank you uh, for technology that means even in this crazy weather, we can still hear uh, about you and be together. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.